Well, we are starting a, a focus here over these next few weeks uh, around the theme of being for uh, Fort Mill. And as a part of that, uh, uh, Pat just uh, mentioned, uh, we're going to have uh, kind of building toward a, a weekend where uh, we're going to have take a Saturday morning and we're going to go out and serve our community. And there's lots of different ways to, to be involved in that. You can go online. Uh, there's some information in the lobby. Check that out. Uh, going to have some things for your car, uh, some uh, uh, T-shirts, other things that will be a part of this uh, focus in the weeks ahead. Over the next couple of weeks, actually going to uh, just even have it very simple because we think some of the best ideas of how we can actually be for our community, for Fort Mill, are probably seated right here uh, this morning. And so uh, in the next couple of weeks, I'm just going to even have just a simple uh, piece of paper, uh, just something just to say, hey, here's an idea. Here's a for Fort Mill idea. Maybe something that God's kind of laying on your heart or stirring in you along the way, and just to say, hey, let's, let's throw some things out there and see what it is that God might have us to do as we pursue being uh, for Fort Mill. So I just encourage you just to kind of lean into that uh, over the next few weeks and be a part of that as we, we seek to, uh, to just lift that value uh, of being for Fort Mill. And, and maybe to, to get us started on that uh, for this uh, series, I want to take you back just a few years ago. A few years ago, I got a phone call from a, a reporter uh, and didn't, didn't expect it, didn't have any prep time for it or anything like that. It was just, they, they wanted kind of a statement on, there was something going on in our culture at the time and, and a vote coming up in our state. And they wanted to know, well, why, why are churches against this, right? And if you've done enough of these, you realize, okay, this person's calling you. They're functioning under a deadline probably just a few hours away. So what they're looking for at this point is not a, a, a long, nuanced uh, story here, right? What they're really looking for is maybe a statement or two that they can include in their story along with a few other things and maybe to point them uh, to another resource where they could go a little deeper if they have time to do that. And so I'm trying to kind of process process all of this in the moment. And my best answer at the moment was something like this. I said, well, when we say we're against this, it's not because we just hate this. It's actually because we're four people. And sometimes when you're four people and when you're four families, then occasionally you stand up against something that you think damages people and damages families. And so it's not so much that we're against anything in particular, it's that we're four people and we're four families, and we know that what's being proposed here has a track record of being harmful uh, to individuals and to families. And so if we're against something, it's actually because we're really for something. We're against this because we're four people. And I don't know exactly how it all got sorted out in the, in the end of the, uh, of the article. But that really is the heartbeat. Sometimes the church is known more for what it's against than what it's for. And part of that is we do a really poor job at PR, honestly. The other part of that is sometimes the, the, the narrative gets framed by our, our culture and it's always, well, look at this thing that they're against. 
And you couple that with a healthy dose of skepticism and cynicism against the church at large because there are times that we fail miserably to live up to uh, the calling of Jesus Christ. And sometimes what gets published is that not only this is what you're against, but here's this scandal, or here's this uh, thing, or here's this where you fail to live up. And we can understand why somebody might have particularly if they're not really connected to a vibrant faith community, why they may have some skepticism and cynicism when it comes to the church. Maybe they think, hey, the church is just against rather than being for. And what we wanted to do is just take a few weeks and just remind ourselves of a God who is for us (laughs) and the God who calls us to be for people. People matter to God and they should matter to us. And so we want to take just a few weeks and think about what does it look like for us to live like we're four, that we're actually four people. Occasionally we'll stand against something, but it's because we are four people. And maybe if we lived a little more like we were for our community on a consistent basis, maybe they would even hear occasionally those things that we might stand against in a little different light along the way. And so as we start this, I thought, well, let's start kind of in-house, if you will. Let's start inside these walls because we're going to focus on outside of these walls in the weeks ahead. And really around the question is, what do we want for you? What do we want for you? Because a lot of people hear what the church wants from them, right? Uh, A lot of times it's, well, the church wants your money, or they want your time, or they want you to do this, or they want you to fill a seat, uh, pad their numbers, or in some cases want a bigger crowd to sell their music or their books or whatever it might be. And so there's all this sense of we, we get what the church wants from us. Well, what does the church want for us? What does the church of Jesus Christ want for an individual, for a family. When Paul was writing about his ministry at the end of chapter 1 in Colossians, he, he kind of talked about what he was for, and he, he put it in a, in a nutshell. He said, him we proclaim, he was focused on, on Christ, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's, that was what his target on the wall was. He, he wanted folks to intersect the living Lord Jesus Christ and to grow to full maturity in Christ. Verse 29, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. He said, this is, this is an exertion, this is energy, this is toil, but the work that God's called us to is, is supernatural, it's beyond natural capacity, it's beyond what I could do on my own, and so I, I need the strength of Jesus Christ, I need His energy working powerfully in me. And we approach the things we're going to talk about in the next few moments with that same sense of dependence and humility, that what God calls us to do What God calls us to to invest in to be for people is beyond us. It is beyond our flesh. It requires God's supernatural strength within us. And so what I want to do this morning, and by no means would this be an exhaustive list, but I think it's a pretty good foundation. What are some things that we want for people, not just 
from people when we think about the operation of this local church. And my guess is not many of these will come as a surprise, uh, but I hope maybe, if nothing else, it might reframe some of our thinking. It may help us to think more in terms of what we are for rather than what we're against, what we want for people rather than from people. The first thing that we would say we want for people is we want you to know the security of salvation. We want you to know the security of salvation. Well, when Paul was praying and he wrote to the Romans, he said, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. That he had this burning desire and it occupied his prayers. He recognized that there was a real heaven and a real hell, that there was a real salvation that was only found through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And his heart's desire for people, he wanted for them to be saved, to experience that. John, the beloved disciple, wrote, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, notice the last phrase, that you may know that you have eternal life. So that you may know that you have eternal life. He said, I want you to know this. I want you to have a security in that. I want your life to operate out of that foundation of knowing that you know Jesus Christ. That's what we want for you. That is what we want for people. We want them to know the security of salvation. We want you to know that whatever has been in your past, whatever has made up your past, even if it's things that maybe you're ashamed of, that that no longer has to define you going forward. That no longer has to control your life. But that you can be set free because of the rescuing power of Jesus Christ through His shed blood on the cross. We want you to know the security of a future, to know that even death itself cannot separate you from the love of God, for the God who is for you. Just got a text, a message yesterday uh, from a brother who said, who said just, just pray for us. My dad, my dad passed away. But we know that he is a follower of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and we find rest in the fact that he's in the Lord's hands. We want you to know that. We want you to have that security and that peace even in the face of death. We want you to live your present not just in your own strength, but in the strength and the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. We want you to live energized by God, guided by God, confident that God is at work around you and is at work within you, and that God is engineering all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. We want you to know the security of salvation. That's what we want for you. Secondly, I would say this morning, we want you to build your life on truth. 
We want you to build your life on truth. All of us are going to build our lives on something, some philosophy, some way of thinking, some understanding of the world, or some worldview. We want you to build your life on truth. And Jesus uh, taught that, that, uh, tr- that truism about his word and the power of it. He said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, some of your translations say, if you hold on to my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and watch this, and the truth will set you free. Here's what we believe. Maximum freedom is found under God's authority. Maximum freedom. Freedom to be who God created you to be. To fulfill the purposes of your life. Maximum freedom is found under God's authority. Our culture tells us that maximum freedom is found in rebellion against authority. Of removing authority. Of not having any authority on you being free from authority. But the truth is maximum freedom to be and to do is found under God's authority. We want you to build your life on truth. Now, I realize that we live in a culture where, where truth is, is, is questionable, right? So, so that we say things like, well, that's true for you, but that's not true for me. But actually, we only say that in certain areas of our life, right? I mean, if, if you go to the store, and I know a lot of us don't pay with cash too often, but uh, let's say it's a, you, you make an $8 purchase and you hand them a 20 and they hand you back $3, and you say, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute, you, wait a minute, you still owe me a little more money. Now, we wouldn't be happy if the cashier looked at us and said, well, that's true for you. That's not true for me. That's your truth. No, no, it's, it's true. It's true, right? We want you to build your life on truth. We want you to experience maximum freedom. But we want you to experience stability in the midst of the storms. Jesus taught that in that parable. We mentioned it last week. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, knows them and does them, that that building my life on truth will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Listen, you and I know in this world in which we live, you're going to experience storms, right? They come in different shapes. They come in different sizes. At times and seasons of our life, they seem to come wave after wave after wave after wave. And when you experience those storms, what we want for you is a stability. What we want for you is a foundation that does not give. And that takes place when you build your life upon the truth. We want you to build your life on truth. We are convinced that life works best when it's aligned with God's design. And that when I know and practice God's truth, when I build my life on truth, when I align my life with God's truth, my life works best. We want you to build your life on truth. A third thing that we want for you, we want you to develop an intimate growing relationship with God. We want you to develop an intimate, growing relationship with God. 
Just a few verses earlier from Colossians 1, from what we just read, Paul wrote, For by Him, for by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. That you were created by God through Christ Jesus. You were created for Him. You were created for a relationship with Him. That's why when you come to what is the highest, the greatest commandment of all, it is about this relationship with God. Jesus affirmed, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. That you and I were created, we were planned for God's pleasure. We were planned for God's pleasure. And what we want for you is a, is a real, vital, day-by-day, growing relationship with God. That relationship that you were created for. We want the central reality of your life, the central relationship of your life to be founded in your relationship with God through the grace of Jesus Christ. Because this is what we know. If the center of your life is off, everything you build around it is going to be off. But if you get the center right, then you have the potential to build well all the other pieces of your life. We want you to have and experience as the central reality, the central relationship of your life. The highest value, the highest love is your relationship with God because you were made for that. You were created for that. You were planned for that, for this relationship with God. He designed you as the crown of His creation to uniquely relate to Him as no other part of His creation. We want you to develop an intimate, growing relationship with Jesus Christ, with God through Christ Jesus. Fourthly, we want you to experience authentic relationships with others. As you continue to follow Jesus' teaching there in, in Matthew 22 about, uh, about the, the high callings of our life, it is to, to love God. But right after that, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That, that we were created to be in community with other people. To not only have this vertical relationship with God that was the anchor, that was the center of our life, but to have these horizontal relationships with other people marked by that extraordinary love. When Paul painted a picture of the the body of Christ, of, of the community of believers, he used words like these, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. That we weren't designed for isolation. We weren't designed for just a relationship vertically with God. We were made not just to believe, but also to belong. To belong to God, certainly, but to belong to one another. To be in relationships where we can know and be known where we can love and be loved, where we can serve and be served. Those relationships that go beyond the surface, hi, how you doing, fine, how are you? 
to begin to open up our lives one to another and to, to have some of those relationships in our life. And I realize that there are different relationships at different levels. You can almost think of them as concentric circles there, that there are some that are deeper and more perhaps impactful than others. Uh, but as we have these relationships, they're increasingly marked by this sense of, uh, I belong. I belong. That's why we say to you, don't just settle for sitting in rows. Don't just settle for sitting in rows on a Sunday morning, but find your way to a circle. Find your way to get connected to a group. Get in a setting where you can begin to place yourself in environments where you can experience some of those relationships along the way. We must have community to be the people that God's created us to be to fulfill the purposes that God has for our life. We want you to experience authentic relationships with others. Fifthly, as we think about what we want for you and not just from you, we want you to discover the significance of service. We want you to know the significance that comes through service. Peter, one of those core inner circle of three disciples that walked with Jesus, wrote, as each of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whatever gifts, whatever abilities, whatever talents you have, it's not just for you. It's not just for financial remuneration. It's not just to, to, to feather your nest. It's not just to, to provide for a comfortable retirement. Uh, but whatever you have been entrusted with, use it to serve one another as a manager, as a steward of the, the incredible gifts of God. Paul wrote about God's design for each of us in this area. For we are his workmanship. Sometimes it's translated masterpiece. We are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece. This, this poetic expression of God created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Pause with that for a moment. Think about that. God created you intentionally. You were designed intentionally because there were good works. There were lives to be impacted uniquely and powerfully through you. That as God designed you, He was also designing these ways for you to make a difference. And what we begin to understand uh, is that, that we were designed to make a difference. We were designed to make a difference in the world. We were designed to make a difference in the lives of people around us. And we talk here about our shape, S-H-A-P-E. We are entrusted with spiritual gifts, with heart passions, with aptitudes, with abilities, with personality strengths. God God's given you life experiences along the way of a wide variety, and He uses all of those to shape you for His assignment. And what we want you to experience, what we desire for you to, to know in the core of your being is that you matter. That it's not just about the pursuit of success, the way that our culture defines success, but it's about living a life of significance, that I was designed to make a difference. That God has some things that He wants to do through me. That there are lives that He wants to impact through me.
and to be able to look back and, and say, God, was this world a little better off? Were some people a little better off because I lived? Because I actually used my time and my energy and whatever else you entrusted to me, not just for myself, but for others. And you maybe come to a point where you begin to realize, you know, success fades away. And what's defined as success in one season of your life, you look back on it a few years later and it doesn't really matter to you anymore. The significance, significance lives on because it lives on in the lives of the people that you've made a difference in. And that there is a significance in your life because you were designed to make a difference. You were designed to make a contribution. We want you to experience that. We want you to discover the significance of service. A sixth thing that we want for you is we want you to have financial freedom. We want you to have financial freedom. What we know is walking with so many folks through the years is that so many folks are living under a financial burden and a financial bondage. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he, he, he talked about pouring into the lives of others through the local church. And he said, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's not the only root of every kind of evil, but it is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And boy, that could describe so much of our culture, right? Sometimes we have convinced ourselves, have I just had a little bit more Some surveys have suggested that most Americans feel like if they just made $10,000 more, regardless of their income level, if they just had about $10,000 more, then things would be better. Then life would be easier. Or then problems would go away. When the truth of the matter is, there are people who have learned to live happy, fulfilled, wonderful, joy-filled lives at all levels of the socioeconomic ladder. And it's not about how much you make, it's about how you handle what God has entrusted to you in this season of your life. We want you to move beyond that that lie of the culture uh, that says your net worth equals your self-worth. We want you to to not confuse those two. We want you to understand that your self-worth comes from who you are and who you've been created to be and whose you are and, and what God has done in you and wants to do through you. And that may or may not have a, a powerful impact on your, on your bottom line. Now, when we talk about financial freedom, we're, we're, not, we're not talking to you about some health and wealth gospel that you, you, you do this and God promises you all these extravagant possessions and extravagant uh, in all this areas. No, 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 no. When we're talking about financial freedom, we want you to be able to control your finances in a God-honoring way instead of being controlled by your finances. It's as simple as that. We have men and women in this church of all different kind of pockets in the socioeconomic ladder. Whatever God's entrusted to you for this season of your life, we want you to control that, manage that, steward that in a God-honoring way instead of being controlled by your finances. 
That's why we've been involved with Crown Ministries and Financial Peace University for so many, many years. That's why we have some individuals that will come alongside somebody and just do some financial coaching, not about, not about investment, you know, invest in that, that sort of thing, uh, but, but just to say let, maybe let somebody from the outside come in and help you to begin to kind of get a handle on this thing that sometimes seems so overwhelming. And, and this is what I have discovered through the years that there are individuals, there are families that can get knotted up in this, and there, there are folks that control vast amounts of dollars in their work that somehow struggle to do that in their personal life, you know. Uh, and, and what we're just saying is we don't want you to live in that bondage. God didn't design you to live under that bondage. And yes, there are some skills that you can bring and some practices that will help, but at the core of it is a heart issue, and Jesus talked about the connection between our treasure and our heart. And we want you to experience. We want you to have the financial freedom. We don't want you to, to get in a situation where you feel like, I can't say yes to the prompting of God's Spirit because I am under such bondage in this area of my life. And I have known too many folks that have gotten there. We want you to be free. Free to, to experience what God wants you to have. The, the joys of trusting Him and following Him in this area of your life. We've seen what it does to the lives of individuals. We've seen what financial bondage does to marriages. We want you to experience financial freedom. A couple more. Seven, we want you to experience a healthy marriage and a strong family. We want you to experience a healthy marriage and a strong family. The proverb says, by wisdom, a house is built. And by understanding, it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. We, we want you, to coming back to building your life upon the foundation of truth, we want you to build a home, build a house with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, to experience all the richness that God designed into a family. Because at the end, the family was always God's idea. Even before you get to the New Testament church, in the very beginning, God had an idea for a family. It is a foundational building block of society. And because of that, there is no, no really reason to doubt that the enemy would attack there at this most fundamental level. Now, now please hear my heart on this. Sometimes, I, you know, when you make a statement, it's like, oh, wait, that doesn't include me. I, I understand I understand that not everybody's married. And that's sometimes God's design. I have some wonderful friends who, you know, this, God's called them to be single. That may be where you're at for the entirety of your life or a season in your life. Some are not married because of death. Some are married because of divorce. A divorce they didn't desire, they didn't seek, they didn't want. It's the reality of their life. Whatever your family looks like for this moment, for this season, we want you to experience God's best in it. We have biological families. We have adopted families. We have blended families. We want you. We want you to experience healthy marriage if you're married. We want you to experience a strong family life because we know how essential that was to God's design. The family was God's idea from the very beginning. That's why 
We have marriage classes almost continually in a disciple life cycle. That's why we have a marriage champions ministry to come alongside. That's why we partner with others to to provide skilled and trained counseling to come along in a a season of crisis because we want to help support that. That's why we invest so much in preschool ministries and children's ministries and student ministries, not because we want parents to drop off their kids and say, here they are for an hour, fix them spiritually, but because we want to partner with a family. We want to come alongside a family. We want to equip a family to be the chief, the primary developers and disciplers of their their children's spiritual walk and their children's life. And so we want you to experience a strong marriage, a healthy marriage if you're married, and a strong family life, whatever your family looks like in this season of your life. And one other thing I'll just mention in this context, number eight, we want you to know the joy and fulfillment of being a part of something larger than yourself. God's mission to change a world. We want you to experience that. The the resurrected Lord Jesus before his uh, ascension gave what we have kind of known now through the centuries as that, that, that great commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Uh, that, that in that moment, Jesus reminded those disciples and, and through the inspiration of the Spirit had it recorded for followers of Christ for all generations is that you, you, were, you were made for a mission. You were made for a mission. That you were created for something that's not just about you. That real joy, real fulfillment, real meaning and purpose in life comes when you start to give your life away for something greater than yourself. Our culture, our society tries to convince us that joy and fulfillment is found in the accumulation of possessions, the accumulations of pleasures, the accumulation of experiences along the way. But what we somehow figure out along life's journey, most of us anyway, is that those things never ultimately satisfy. And by themselves, they never totally fulfill. But in order to experience the joy and the fulfillment that we were designed for, we have to give our life away. To give our life away in the calling of something bigger than ourselves. It's as Jesus said, when we lose our life, when we give our life away for the gospel's sake, it is then that we actually discover our life. And what we understand in these moments is that the stakes are sky high. I mean, there are times we get challenged to be a part of a cause, to be a part of a team, to accomplish something that's bigger than ourselves. And those are joy-filled and those are, that can be very fulfilling along the way but that there is nothing more important. There's nothing where the stakes are higher than the call to be on mission with God because everybody is going to spend forever somewhere. Everybody that you interacted with over these past few days, whether in person, over a phone, via text, email, whether it was somebody in your neighborhood or your workplace, whether it was that person in the restaurant or the store, everybody is going to spend forever somewhere. And you and I have been entrusted 
with the only message that provides access to life abundant and eternal. And that is only found through Jesus, the one who in advance called the fact that he was going to be killed and he was going to raise from the dead. And you and I are called to give our lives away to a mission that's greater than ourselves. And for some of us, it'll take us across the street. For some of us, it'll take us outside of our comfort zone. For some of us, it'll take us across the world. But wherever it leads you to say, God, I want to give my life away to something bigger than myself because when I give it away, I actually find it. When I lose it, I actually discover it. When I become a part of something bigger than myself, your mission to change the world one life at a time, I actually experience life. Those are some of the things that we want for you. When you extend an invitation to somebody to come to church, it's not just so we can have a bigger crowd. It's not just so that, that, that well, let's get more money or, or, or more you know, prestige or whatever. No, no, no. It's what you want for them. It's what you want for them. We want you to experience all of these things and so much more. And so I want to close with just five key questions that maybe will help encapsulate kind of this thing as we want for you. And questions for your reflection, not only in the next couple moments, but hopefully in the, in the days and weeks ahead as well. We've talked about some of these before. First question is this, what will be the center of my life? Something is going to be central to my life. What is going to be the center of my life? Is there anyone or anything, any purpose, any cause, any possession that's going to be more important to me than Jesus Christ and my relationship with God? Because if the center's off, everything else is off. But if the center's right, I have the chance to make everything else right. What will be the center of my life? Second question, what will be the character of my life? What will be the character of my life? We saw the, the, the statement in, in the outline that the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and makes me like the Son of God. That we talk in here about a fully devoted follower of Christ as someone who lives like Jesus lives, that our character and our conduct more and more reflect the character and the conduct of Jesus Christ. And so I begin to think, when all is said and done, at the end of my days, when people would speak about my character, would they speak about it in a way that it reflects the character of Jesus Christ? What will be the character of my life? Third question, what will be the community of my life? The community of my life. We talk about live like Jesus lived, love like Jesus loved. What are, what are the relationships of my life? Who are those folks that I opened my life to, that I invested in, that I connected with? Who are those folks that I really experienced not just believing but belonging one to another? Who is going to be the community of my life? Who are going to be those people for you? Fourth, what will be the contribution of my life? What will be the contribution of my life? When your run on this earth is done, and it's going to be done for all of us, 
Some of us may be much quicker than we anticipated. What will be the contribution of my life? What will be that which I left behind? That's the third thing we talk about as a fully devoted follower of Christ. Live like Jesus lived. Love like Jesus loved. Leave behind what Jesus left behind. It goes to purpose and mission. What is going to be the contribution of my life? How many lives will have been impacted? What difference will be made in the world because I lived? Because I took up space and, and consumed food and sucked in oxygen and all of those things for however many years God's given me. What is going to be the contribution of my life? What is the legacy I'm going to leave behind? Fifth question, what will be the communication of my life? <laughs> when people look back and say, this is what he talked about, this is what she talked about, this is what was on her heart, his heart. Will they remember somebody who gossiped the gospel? <laughs> will, they, will they remember somebody that, that communicated the love and the truth of Jesus Christ? Communicated that they cared. Communicated how somebody could get connected to Jesus Christ, regardless of how they chose to respond. What will be the communication of my life? We're for Fort Mill. We're for people. We're for the world. Because God is for people. For God so loved the world <laughs> that he gave his only begotten son. He couldn't be more for you. He couldn't be any more for you than he is. And he calls us to live as those who know that he is for us and as his representatives to tell the world that he is for them. And it begins by us understanding not just what the local church wants from us, but what the church of Jesus Christ wants for us. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer, please. Oh, Father. Thank you. Thank you, Father, that you are for us <laughs> in ways that we'll never fully understand. And that, Lord, in order for us to be who you created us to be, to do what you designed us to do, to, to know and fulfill your purposes in our lives, Father, we have to start with the fact that you're for us and to live with you as the center of our being. And so, Lord, today, I just pray that in this room, in these moments that we have, that you would speak personally to every one of us. And Father, there's some in this room right now that they just need to be reminded that you're for them. And Lord, perhaps they've never opened up their life to a real relationship with Jesus Christ. And they're here today and they don't really know that they belong to you. Father, I pray that there wouldn't be a man, there wouldn't be a woman, there wouldn't be a student, there wouldn't be a child that would leave this room without knowing you. And that today they would take a step back toward that next step area and let someone share with them about the God who is for them and what he did in Jesus Christ. And Father, for those of us who know your name, sometimes we let the culture... <laughs> 
kind of conform our mind to skew our thinking about you, about the church, about us, about our purpose in the world. Father, today, would you just speak anew and afresh to your children? Would you help us to understand a God who is for us and who has left us in this world to proclaim with our life and our lips that God is for them? And so, Father, speak to us about the center of our life, the character of our life, the community of our life, the contribution of our life, and the communication of our life. And Lord, let it all be more and more aligned with what you are for. Now I'm just going to invite you to spend just the next couple of minutes just still before the Lord.